0: Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth. Helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor.
1: Now here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DoctorScore.com Physician Rating website. American medicine can do amazing things. We can screen people for conditions, catch those conditions early, treat people early, and cure them of their disease. What's not to like about that? It seems like it's a win-win. Well, there's a downside. Our guest today is Dr. Gilbert Welch, professor of medicine and community and family medicine at Dartmouth He's a member of the Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy and Clinical Practice. His research focuses on the problems created when physicians test too much, treat too aggressively, or tell too many people they're sick. He's the author of the new book, Overdiagnosed, Making People Sick in the Pursuit of Health. Dr. Welch, thank you so much for being on the program. To start off, can you just tell our listeners why we do screening tests?
2: Well, it's part of our uh, it's sort of a long-held belief that it's always better to find disease early uh, than late, um, and uh, then, of course, we've developed technologies that can measure things in minute quantities and, and see things uh, of minute size, literally uh, millimeters in the human body, so that's uh, uh, it's a combination of a belief system and now capability, and uh you know, I, I, I think there can be some good to this, but there's also a downside that most people don't realize, and, and that is that uh, we, we, it leads to overdiagnosis. Well, and I, over, If I'd like to just to explain to your listeners what overdiagnosis is. Well, well before it, you it, talk
1: it, about overdiagnosis, let's make sure that we have a, an understanding of why we're even doing the screening tests in the first place, yeah. if there's any benefit. Um, you know, I've turned fifty, so you know I've I've gone in for my colonoscopy, and my gerontologist, who's wonderful, talked to me about the advantages and disadvantages of PSA, and I had one of those, and fortunately it was negative, and so my mind was put at ease. Um, I feel pretty good about those things. Uh, I'm on a statin because my cholesterol was a little high, so presumably these things are done to prevent me from. To, to catch my cancers early, prevent me from having heart disease
2: yes that 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 is the reason they're done, and you know it's part of uh, our interest as physicians is, you know we've been taught to uh, focus on those that we can help, yeah, and uh, that that leads to more and more early diagnosis. One of the things is though, as we move into looking for earlier and earlier forms of disease we we help very few people like a typical screening test will have to screen a thousand to help one. Now, that sounds okay. Maybe we'll do that unless something else happens to the other 999, and that's the point of my book, is that we need to start thinking what happens to the people who are not helped by the test. If they're not helped by the test, they can o- only one other thing can happen to them. They can only be harmed by the subsequent interventions, and that's what is the balance that we have to begin to be concerned about.
1: So in the case of the cholesterol-lowering medicine that I'm on because my gerontologist thinks that I might be a little bit higher risk of heart disease, it's possible that I may be one of the people that won't have a heart attack because I'm on that cholesterol-lowering drug. But it's also possible that I'll have some drug reaction to the medicine or or, or any of a number of other bad things that could have happened. Not
2: Absolutely, and it, it's entirely possible that you're not helped by the drug at all, that you were never destined to have a heart attack, and yet you still are subjected to the uh, uh, side effects and uh, downsides of the medication. So it seems and like- by the way, the group that's most likely to fall in that category are those with the most minimal elevations of cholesterol or blood pressure or blood sugar, or the most minimal, uh, a, a, a decrement in, in uh, T scores in osteoporosis. you know it all sits on where we define uh, these conditions as being conditions, and those thresholds, those numbers that we use to decide who has high versus who has a normal, who's abnormal, who's normal, They have all changed in the last uh, twenty uh, years. But they've all changed in the same direction to label more Americans as being abnormal and thereby warranting uh, treatment. And that new subset of patients turns out to be the group that is least likely uh, to benefit and uh, their their chance of harm is relatively uh, higher.
1: I think it's often helpful, at least for me, to categorize the different ways things can go bad. Do you have a a set of of, a scheme for the different kinds of downsides you see to uh, screening?
2: Yeah, um, I I think simply being given a needless diagnosis, I think, can adversely affect uh, patient's health. Uh, The truth is that uh, health is more than simply a physical state of being. Uh, We we can't define health as the absence of all abnormality or or else we'd all be uh, labeled as sick. Health is also a state of mind. And it's hard to feel too well when doctors are constantly looking for things to be wrong and, and finding things wrong. But but the biggest pro- biggest uh, problem um, is that unnecessary uh, or overdiagnosis will trigger overtreatment. And all of our treatments do have harms. These range from the headaches of uh, renewing prescriptions, scheduling appointments, uh, you know, keeping track of medicines. As people get older, they get on 12, 13 medicines. To the physical harms of drug side effects, excuse me, surgical complications, and even
1: death. So, this happens with um, false positives um, or even true positives. People who have cancer and may not need to be treated.
2: Yes, uh, and, and by the way, the language we uh, taught, were taught in medical school about diagnostic test performance gets a little muddy here. Um, so so I uh, might just review uh, what we were taught as a false positive uh, test. A false positive test is, is one that is subsequently shown to be wrong by a, quote, gold standard test. So the typical thing would be a worrisome mammogram which subsequently a woman had a biopsy, and the biopsy said there was no cancer, we'd say that was a false positive mammogram. That's an issue, and in fact, in mammography, it's a huge issue. Um, uh, You know, in a a 10-year course of screening about 1,000 women, a group of 1,000 women, upwards of half will have at least one false positive exam, and that's a huge problem in this country, much less of a problem in Europe, but it has something to do with our mammographers' thresholds for calling abnormal. But I'm really concerned about something that is a worrisome test, and then the patient is found to have cancer. And this is labeled in the two-by-two table as a true positive result, except we now realize they're cancers that will ultimately never matter to the patient's. I know this is a really unusual concept for yeah. physicians to think about. You know, we were all taught. We're patients. You know, yeah. my, my, my dictionary, my Stedman's Dictionary on my desk says, you know, cancer is a, a tumor, the natural course of which is fatal. But as we look for earlier and earlier forms of cancer, we realize that cancer is much more heterogeneous than we ever uh, thought, that the pathologic definition of uh, abnormal, abnormally, ab, excuse me, abnormalities in the cells and abnormal cellular act architecture, may not always mean that you have something that will inevitably progress. And in fact, the poster child for the problem is prostate cancer, where we now know that as men age, men over 50, over half of them will have pathologic evidence of prostate cancer. Well, that's far more than we'll ever experience the disease, and that's the conundrum. When you look for those really early forms of disease, you realize that everybody or virtually everybody has them, you don't know which ones are actually going to become relevant, so you end up treating the whole group and then people get treated unnecessarily.
1: So when I had my PSA, I was lucky. It was negative. Had it been positive you were very lucky, yes. Yeah. Had it been positive, they might have tested me for cancer. They might have found cancer and yet and they might have treated me for something that might not have killed me and I would have suffered the consequences of that treatment, which would not have been negligible.
2: Uh, absolutely. And, uh, by our estimates, we've been doing research on this for the last uh, 10 years. Uh, uh, prostate uh, specific antigen's been out about 20 years. Um, you know, it was billed as a simple uh, blood test, but of course it's raised some of the most complex uh, issues in medicine. But it looks like over a million men uh, over the past 20 years have been diagnosed with a cancer that was never going to bother them. Um, they've all been treated. They've been treated with radiation or uh, radical prostatectomy. And as you know, uh, these are not minor uh, treatments. Um, And roughly a third suffer side effects of those treatments, generally related to bowel, bladder, or sexual function. And a few have died from the treatment. That's the balance. And, you know, for me, I look at the numbers, which is, you know, we have two randomized trials of prostate cancer screening. One suggests it does lower prostate cancer mortality. The other does not. But let's take the, you know, the best case scenario, which is that it does. We also have an idea of how much it lowers prostate cancer mortality, be about 20%. So that means that if you screen 1,000 men over 10 years, you'll help one avoid a prostate cancer death. That's a good thing. But at the same time, it looks like you're going to be treating 30 to 100 men unnecessarily. Now, there's no amount of calculus, math, uh, algebra, you know, computers that can tell you what the right thing to do is there, because there are different outcomes. There's one death, uh, prostate cancer death avoided, and and somewhere between 30 to 100 treated unnecessarily, a third of whom will have some side effects. It, 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 It is simply a value judgment. And I'm not arguing you should or shouldn't get a PSA test. I'm arguing you have to give people both sides of the story. I look at those numbers and I say, that's not a good deal. That's why I'm not doing PSA testing. But it it really doesn't matter what I think. It matters what our patients think. And we need to share both sides of the story of early detection.
1: You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net. Our guest today is Dr. Gilbert Welch, Professor of Medicine and Community and Family Medicine at Dartmouth. He's the author of the book, Overdiagnosed, Making People Sick in the Pursuit of Health. Okay, so while screening tests may have sounded really great, there's there's an obvious downside that we now see. Why aren't we better at weighing the benefits and the risks?
2: Well, I, I think there's a, a, a number of uh, forces at work, and, and, and one is, is simply just true belief. You know, at the, at the most basic level, um, as a profession and, and, and the public, ha- has been taught to sort of uncritically accept the value of early diagnosis. And uh, the problem, as I said, is that the fact is we can now pretty much find abnormalities in just about everybody but there are other forces at work uh, as well and 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 one is the legal profession we have to acknowledge the, the the existence of malpractice and and doctors clearly understand they're punished for underdiagnosis they're not punished uh, for overdiagnosis
1: let's let's make sure i understand that so if you had a patient with prostate cancer and you don't do a, i'm sorry you're seeing some old guy like me some old geezer and you don't do the PSA, and they get prostate cancer, they sue you because you you didn't do the test.
2: It, it has uh, happened. Yes, on the other hand, yeah. if I
1: and, and, have and, that and test that's, that's and I a
2: get That's very, you know, powerful effect on a physician.
1: Yeah. And if I have that test, then... But I don't really have a prostate cancer that matters. If
2: impotent, uh, th- that never comes to court.
1: Because they never would have known that it wasn't a significant cancer. There'd be no th- that, way. That,
2: that, that's absolutely right. And that gets to- And, and that, now, and, and, and while we're on that problem, let, let me just let me just add one more dimension. We, we, we get survivor stories uh, from screening, you, you know, and, and and these are particularly misleading. Um, this is uh, particularly in breast and prostate cancer. More and more in the media, you'll hear of of people who are breast or prostate cancer survivors who attribute their life to screening. But once you understand the problem of overdiagnosis, you realize they're actually more likely to be overdiagnosed than they are to have been helped by the test. I really hate to say that, that's not something I really like to tell a survivor from a screen detected cancer, but that is in fact the reality.
1: Oh, my. So and let's, so let's, let's make sure that we of, understand that.
2: What's called the popularity paradox. The more overdiagnosis a test causes, the more survivor stories, the more popular screening becomes.
1: Yeah, let's, that is an amazing thing. I love issues related to selection bias. So,
2: Yeah, well, that's exactly what it is, yeah. isn't it? And, and it's a positive feedback loop that... Uh, uh, is, is extremely powerful until you consider the possibilities that this anecdote, these anecdotes that we hear and people who we know, um, that there's another explanation uh, that that's
1: relevant. Right. I want to give the, the listeners this in more concrete terms, but I don't want to do with breast cancer because. Because it, it, it's too emotionally difficult to present it that way. We'll, we'll stick with prostate cancer. So basically what we're saying is that all the hundreds of people who choose not to be tested and therefore don't undergo needless surgery, don't get on television and say, hey, I did great because I wasn't tested. On the other hand, anybody who was tested… Had a tumor detected that was detected so that that was so minor, never never would have caused any problems at all. But they were told they had cancer, and they received treatment, and the treatment did not make any difference in their life one hoot. But they think it did. Made their
2: life worse,
1: (laughs) or made, made their life. But they think it cured a cancer that they thought would have done something to them. Get on TV and say, "Go get, go get screened. It's the best thing you can do."
2: Absolutely. And it's true of politicians as well. I, you know, this was uh, true of Bob Dole, uh, and it was true of General Schwarzkopf uh, early on in the PSA. Uh, and, and I have no way of knowing whether Senator Dole was destined to die of uh, prostate cancer or, or not, or whether General Schwarzkopf was or not. But I do know that based on the randomized trials, the identified cases from screening are much more likely to be overdiagnosed prostate cancer cases than the person who is benefited.
1: Wow. Okay. So what are we going to do about this? How are we going to make testing be done more rationally?
2: Well, I think the first thing is just to be a little bit more honest about it. I think for for years we've systematically overstated the benefits of early detection and we've downplayed or ignored entirely uh, the harms. And so I think the first thing is, is to begin to try to communicate both sides of the story. And that's what we're trying to do uh, in the book. Um, then I think we have to deal with uh, some of the, uh, you know, really perverse economic incentives out there. Now, this is uh, true for pharma, obviously, and the device manufacturer, but it's also true for our hospitals, that the easiest way to make money isn't necessarily build a better drug, uh but it's to expand the market for existing drugs by expanding the indications for more patients. Now, physicians get co-opted in this process when they uh, are part of consensus panels, and they also are uh, serving uh, some uh, role in the pharmaceutical company. And that happened in um, in the consensus panels that, that changed the definition of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and osteoporosis. In each case. Uh, physicians were involved who uh, had uh, financial relationships uh, with the uh, companies. We've we got to say, hey, that's wrong. Let me let, 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 let you, me stop you, know, you we, there. We, we need we need independent groups deciding uh, what what we do, what, what we're going to uh, define as disease. You you have a great point there. As they get into marketing, they recognize one of the easiest ways to make money isn't to deliver better care, but it's to recruit new patients. And screening is a great way to do this, and this is why hospitals offered free PSAs. Um, Otis Brawley, the head of the American Cancer Society, described his time at Emory uh, being head of the uh, cancer center there when he said his money men told him that if he screened 1,000 men this weekend, they would be able to bill Medicare $5 million for subsequent biopsies, tests, and surgeries in the next two months. That's a huge ethical issue, and we need to really begin to deal with the financial incentives in early detection.
1: As much as people want to focus on other folks's negative financial incentives, you know, I see a gerontologist, and and she had me get the PSA, and I I am convinced it had absolutely zero to do with financial incentives and more to do with her wanting to make sure that I didn't die of prostate cancer on her watch and the selection bias phenomenon that you mentioned earlier that doctors – you know you mentioned the doctors on those committees. I bet those doctors on the committees see the selection bias even more because they 're taking care of the folks who end up with the bad outcomes and yep. so While yeah, there may be an economic incentives, and probably you 're absolutely right, independence is good i wouldn 't overly tar these folks by assuming that what they 're doing is because of the financial incentives no,
2: no i i I am very careful to describe the true belief. Uh, 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 in fact, that's where I started with you. Is, is the, the true belief is a big driver. It is, but these so two together are work synergistic. Very yeah, it I becomes buy that. In the hospital's interest, it becomes in the drug company's interest, and, and I think it w- we would be uh, remiss not to also talk about the strong financial forces uh, working here. I agree. At the individual physician level, often the financial uh, forces are not are not very particularly big, but they do influence the information that that your your gerontologist uh, gets.
1: Mhm. So how 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 would you um can we do we have to change the whole structure of payment in the United States for us to get around this problem?
2: Well, I um, I I think first a lot of it is just about disclosing these relationships and just so people understand that, that they need to have come, come to early detection with a little bit of healthy skepticism.
1: Fair enough.
2: Um, and, and just so, you know, I think in many ways our patients are used to thinking about side effects of treatment, but they're not used to thinking about the side effects of testing. They just say, oh, it's a simple test. Of course, there's no downside to this. And um, I, I think uh, it's part of an education effort to recognize that, testing, uh, the step of diagnosis is a critical first step that can start a whole cascade of subsequent events, subsequent testing, more follow-up testing, and, and treatment. And that we need to be a little bit, that everyone would do better to more carefully consider that very first step.
1: As we move towards changes in our healthcare system to things like accountable care organizations, are they going to decide for us whether we need these kinds of tests or not?
2: Um, the, the the most honest answer for that uh, question is I don't know. Um, uh, what I hope though is we enter a culture more where we have uh, informed consent about whether people want to pursue these things. Right now, um, I, I think particularly in mammography, since it's become a performance measure in healthcare. I think some women are, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, coerced into uh, testing or they're made to feel guilty if they don't want to have testing, and some, uh, I, I, I've spoken to women who, whose doctors said that they won't uh, care for them if they uh, don't mm-hmm. uh, participate in mammography screening. Well, that, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, th- th- this is really a patient choice. I'm not arguing that people should or shouldn't. I'm arguing they ought to know both sides of the story. And, and, and uh, women who feel good about getting mammograms ought to. Uh, women who, who don't um, and um, uh, don't want to participate shouldn't be made feel to feel badly.
1: We hear from our politicians, and they may honestly believe this, that we're going to help reduce America's health care costs by keeping people well, by screening them and preventing illness. Does yeah. is what you're saying call that into question?
2: Absolutely, it doesn't pass the last test, and anyone that really knows this uh, 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 literature uh, understands that uh this kind of preventive medicine uh, and, and and actually, let me just step back and be clear there there are two very different features of preventive medicine one is health promotion, and i I, I, I liken that to what your grandmother would have told you you know, go play outside, eat your fruits and vegetables uh. Don't smoke. Uh, don't drink too much. You know, this is just very basic and really important for all of us. It doesn't involve labeling any of us as abnormal or anything. It's just about having a healthy lifestyle, exercising, watching your diet, uh, watching your weight, etc. I have no problem with that aspect of prevention, the health promotion. But when it, when, when when prevention got into medical care, it it became not really prevention anymore. It became early detection. It became a huge effort to look for early forms of disease. Now, that kind of prevention always costs money. Why? Because you you, you have to involve so many more people in the process. Uh, And so any any cost savings from the few, perhaps, that you won't have to treat as aggressively or quickly, Overwhelmed by the fact you 've involved so many more people in the process, so much more testing, uh, so much more treatment and and, and so forth now that, now that doesn 't mean that sometimes we shouldn 't do it because you know things that actually help people and they want they may be worth paying money for but i think it's uh I think people are very misguided if they think the way to solve the healthcare care cost problem is to offer more uh, screening tests. That, that, that just doesn't pass the last test.
1: Dr. Welsh, you present this just with tremendous clarity. I, I recommend your book, Overdiagnosed, Making People Sick in the Pursuit of Health, to our audience. Did you have any final words of wisdom besides what Grandma suggested?
2: Well, I just uh, want to remind uh, your audience, uh, who I assume will have a number of physicians in it, that um, it, it is hard to make well people better. And uh, it's not that hard to make them worse. And I think we all need to be a little bit um, hesitant to uh, be looking too hard at people to try to find things wrong. I'm not sure that's the best way to help the nation pursue better health.
1: Thanks so much for being on the program today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Wow, this was a heavy lesson. What can we learn from this? First, screening tests can be valuable, but... You have to think about them broadly, not just what do I stand to gain, but also what do I stand to lose? Another thing is that physicians may err on the side of giving testing. Uh, Dr. Welsh pointed out some financial reasons for doing so and other reasons, and I think those other reasons can be very powerful motivators. You look at what we dermatologists um think about skin cancer screening and how you really ought to have a you know be looked at at regular intervals and all and why do we feel so strongly well because we see so many people who have skin cancer we don't see all the people who don't have skin cancer and so it's we have the sense that it's a much bigger issue and if we do screen people we may catch a melanoma early and that may in our minds save somebody's life on the other hand in theory, that melanoma may not have ever killed the person. It may have just been going to sit there and it may not. It may have been gone on to kill a person, but we don't know. And how many screening tests and how many procedures do you do in people who never have a problem? And is it worth it for the ones who do? If, if there were no risks, no downside, well, screen away. But there are real risks. Um, to every screening test and the subsequent treatments and procedures that may or may not be valuable. And in the case of the prostate testing that have been shown uh, in, in a majority of patients, according to Dr. Welch, not to change their ultimate outcome, except perhaps to make it worse. Um, I, I, love, um, I, I love the note on which Dr. Uh, Welch ended with the idea that it's hard to make well people better and easy to make them worse. So what can we conclude? We conclude, first, screening testing is not gonna save the cost of our healthcare system. Two, there's a lot of incentives in our system that lead people to do more testing than is probably good for us. And three, as always, we need to take an active role in our health, make sure we've researched out what, what's going to help us, what, what screening tests we want to do, um, what risks we're willing to take along with the potential benefits that we're looking at. Well, with that, I thank you for joining us today. The theme music for our program is written by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the very best of health.
0: Thanks for listening to the show today.
1: Remember to go to DrScore.com
0: to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare care empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Health Care.